Hey, um, I am going to talk about calling. Um, at first, I wasn't going to, or I was thinking I might not. But, you know, after spending some time praying about it and talking with folks, um, I felt like it was important enough that, that we talk about it. And I'll tell you guys a little more why. And I know for some of you guys who weren't on the Rockbridge weekend, I am definitely going to address the talk that we heard on Monday morning. And I'm, I will I will say things from that talk and, and try to discuss kind of issues there. I want to make sure you guys know as I talk about that, okay, now that's not the, the idea here. The idea is I, I'm sh- presenting or showing kind of the idea of calling from what I would see in the scriptures, okay? It's the Acts 17.11 thing that I brought up last week. It's vitally important that for the rest of your lives, you didn't get anything else out of this, that you remembered Acts 17.11. Who can quote it? I know you guys can quote it. Lance did it last time, didn't you? It's terrible. Okay, who can quote it? Koreans. That's right? Yes. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they examined the scriptures, for they received the message with great ignorance, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The principle for us is so strong that we have to know that it doesn't matter if I say something, it doesn't matter if your old young life leader tells you something, it doesn't matter if your parents, if the, your pastor, your church preaches something, it doesn't matter whoever it is who stands up and says whatever it says. God expects you to look at the word of God to see if what that person says is true. So this is... This is my examination of the scriptures as I look at calling and what exactly that means. And so, I want to encourage you guys, you don't, don't ever listen to me, don't ever listen, it doesn't, I mean listen to me, but don't ever not cross-examine what I'm saying with scripture. Okay? Um, So we are going to talk about it, but I do want to make sure that you guys know, like, no matter what I say, like, this is not a judgment on a person by any stretch. Okay? I don't want to have to say that again or make more clear about that. Okay? When I discuss things that might have been said that are miscommunicated, I don't even know for sure that they were meant to be communicated in that way. Does that make sense? I have gone back and listened to it. Like, we had it recorded. So I have gone back and listened to it just to make sure I thought I knew what I was talking about. But... I just want you guys to know it's not judgment on a person or anything like that. This is just completely, okay? Because I do think it's important. I'm going to get to it later. In fact, I think in some senses it's almost really, really important that this stuff be addressed. So we're going to start, when we're talking about calling, we're going to start start with the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. What is God's heart? What does He have a heart for? What does God care about? Okay, we're going to, yeah, and people, somebody said it right away, it seems somewhat obvious, okay? You can't turn anywhere in the Bible without seeing God or Jesus with this heart for people. The, uh, the scripture, the first scripture there, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Now this scripture is basically saying this. It's very simple. God 
is holding his wrath back. He is not destroying everything, totally wiping it all out, makes just totally, completely starting you wiping everything out. God is not doing that. And he's justified to do it because of sin. But God is not doing that. He's holding himself back so that as many as possible can be saved. So what do you think God cares about? You think he cares about that happening? He's literally up in heaven saying, I'm holding back. I'm holding back. Okay, let's go. I'm holding back. The next thing is from John 4. A great example of the heart of God. So the disciples said to one another, and they're talking, they come back to Jesus, who had been off. Uh, the disciples were off. Jesus was with the woman at the well. And the disciples come back from eating, and they said, hey, did anyone bring something for Jesus to eat? Did you guys bring something back for Jesus? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. Do not say, There are yet four more months than the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, and see that the fields are white for harvest. In the NIV it says, Open your eyes. Jesus, this is it's a great example of this, and you continually see this throughout scriptures. It's like Jesus came to earth and he walked around amongst people, and it's like he didn't see the same things that people saw. The disciples are sitting there saying, Dude, aren't you hungry? Don't you care about food? Don't you want to eat? And Jesus is going, Food? There's something way bigger going on here. Because at that time the woman at the well had gone away and had gone to the rest of the townspeople, and they all were coming back. And Jesus is saying, Look. These people, they're coming because of what they heard me say. And this is a serious thing. The harvest is happening. God's work, the kingdom is happening. And Jesus is like, food? How can you think about food? God continually displays this heart. Jesus continually displays this heart. I mean, it was like Jesus, it was like an afterthought. Oh, yeah, you're paralyzed. I didn't even notice. Oh, you're poor. Poor. Oh, that's, I didn't even notice, like, because Jesus went to all the poor, Jesus was not going to people who were influenced, that wasn't his thing, he was just wherever the people were. Oh, you're a woman. I mean, it was crazy for him to talk to women. And he didn't notice this stuff, he was continually, continually looking at the heart of people. That's what he cared about. I mean, it would be very reasonable to say that when Jesus interacted with people, he... And this is, right, I mean, he's God, it makes sense. So when we think about this, but this is important. you got to understand his heart. When Jesus would interact with people, he didn't look at the outside and what was going on as a problem. He saw it as a result of what's going on on the inside. And that's what he cared about. And he always looked at people like this. If you go through any of the stories of Jesus, and he's always interacting with people. I mean, why do you think that he comes across so crazily mean to the Pharisees. And he tells them, they're whitewashed tombs. You look nice on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dried men's bone. That's Jesus talking to them. Because he is constantly looking into the heart of people. This is what God has a heart for. He has a heart for people. He has a heart for himself, because he's God, and that's appropriate which is another lesson in and of itself. So he has a heart for himself, he loves himself, and he loves and has a heart for people. 
So, because of His heart for you, God summons you. This is where calling comes in. Okay? This is the, there are two kinds of calling that are scriptural. The first is what's called effectual calling. Okay? And what that is, is that when God calls somebody to come to know Him. Okay? You don't have a choice. Okay? God says, come to me. Come into my kingdom. I, I don't believe you have a choice. Okay? That can be debated, but I would say when God calls you, it is effectual and it is effective and it will happen. Okay? So when God calls your heart, you have been elected and you will come. Okay, it is a calling. It's literally the same as if like a king is sitting in his throne and he says to the person, Clint, I would like you to go and summon Chad and tell him to come to me. And Clint would go, Chad, the king has called you and summoned you. Does that make sense? And I had a king, I'm saying, Chad, I have called you to me. Come to me. Okay, and he comes. That's, that's what this is happening. That's what this is describing. That is a calling. Okay? And with God, it's effectual calling. The next kind of calling is there is what's called general calling, which is done through the church, through God's people. And that general calling is basically thrown out and given to all, to as many as possible, right? It's the seed that we throw into the soil, the gospel seed. We give it, and it's not always effectual. Like it, it happens sometimes, it takes root, and, God, and it works. Sometimes it doesn't, okay? And that's just called the general calling. We're throwing out the calling of the Lord to come to Him. So then, there is missional calling or vocational callings. And you can look through the Scriptures all you want, but you won't find those there. They're not there. Okay? When people are called by God in the scriptures, they're talking about being called into his kingdom, into his presence. Okay? Now, in some senses, we use this word very loosely nowadays. Calling. But in actuality, okay, it is not a scriptural word. I was talking with an elder guy just yesterday. I said, hey, you know, I'm going to what do you think about calling? You know, the first thing he said was, it's not biblical. I was like, what? And he said, and I knew what he was talking about, so it, which is basically how much we use this word and say, well, I'm called here and I'm called there, when that's really not what's happened. Okay? Let, I mean, let's be honest about what it really is. Well, I sense or I feel like or I kind of hope that maybe this is where God would be leading me or telling me I should go, but I have I don't know for sure because unless you've actually heard the words of the Lord, okay, which that has happened to all of you, which I'll explain in a minute. But unless God showed up in your bedroom and said, "Hey, I'm sending you over there," okay, then you've been sent by God the way that Paul was sent to the Gentiles or the way that other people are sent. Do you notice the difference? I mean, one is completely absorbed with yourself. I'm called to hear. I'm called to... The other is, God sent me. Yeah, the king told me to go. It's a big difference. It's a very big difference. So God... And, and we throw the word calling around very flippantly. Okay? And A, I want to encourage you guys to stop doing that. Just because I don't, it's not, it's just not accurate. Okay? 
unless God has actually told you with his words that this is where I want you to go. Okay, But I know that's not happened with you guys. Um, but it's okay to say, hey, I really sense that the Lord you know, is prompting me and leading me and I look at my life that I, sh- I need to go to Africa and be a missionary there. That's, that's where I feel like I'm being sent. Like, that's okay to say that, right? But it's important that we not be so flippant about being called because there is an actual calling on your life if you want to frame it like this. Because there are actual words that God has spoken to you. Turn to Matthew 28. We'll make sure that we understand what this is. Obviously a scripture that all of you are familiar with. Philippians, or Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So do you recognize right away we're getting back to the being sent thing? It's like the king again, right? He's like, I am in charge. I have all authority here. And I'm about to send you. Right? And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. These are, and this is important to understand, these are the very words of God to all believers. Okay? These are His words. Okay? If you're lying in your bedroom praying, Lord, I just don't know where to go. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know. I just don't know. Okay? He has answered you. This is important. Because I run into people 18 to 24 all the time. I just don't know where the Lord's calling me to go. I just don't know where, what He's telling me to do. And I will say, Oh, well, I, I know. God told me too, and I know He told you. It's right here. And you know what commonly is the answer? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I'm like, dude, you don't get it. That's not the oh, yeah part. That is the main part. Okay? That is the that is the thing. That is what you're called to do as a believer. Everywhere you go, wherever you are, whatever, the rest of it is kind of like icing. Like wherever you end up. But wherever you end up, you do this. This is what you do as a believer. The uh, do not believe that God can only call people to ministry. And I'm not sure what was meant by that, but I believe that it is the only thing that God calls you to. Okay? If you want to use the word call in that sense. God has made you to do this. And it matters that we understand it this way. Look at this next quote. It's really important. So I think we have to say that religion of the Bible is a missionary religion. The evidence is overwhelming and irrefutable. Mission cannot be regarded as the hobby of a few fanatical eccentrics in the church. Mission lies at the heart of God and therefore is at the heart, very heart of church. A church without mission is no longer a church. It is contradicting an essential part of its identity. The church is mission. Mission cannot be regarded as the hobby of a few fanatical eccentrics in the church. This is what happens. I say, God told you what to do with your life. And and the person says, Oh, no, no, yeah, I mean, of course, everybody does that. 
uh, or you know, but only a few people like really do that, like really live their whole lives doing that. That's all they care about, kind of thing. Everything that we do flows into this missionary purpose that God has for our lives. This, in a sense, is a glory over feeling purpose. Because the first thing is we love God with all our hearts and souls. And so God fills us. That is the primary purpose, or not purpose, the primary activity of our lives is this filling and filling of God where we just are getting and getting and getting. And then we get so much from God that it becomes this giant overflow into the lives of people around us. And it works itself out as a missional purpose. Here are several scriptures that just lead to that. It's all over the Bible. You don't have to look far at all. In fact, that quote from John Stott above, that's about how the Old Testament even speaks to the missionary purpose of the body of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, it is all throughout but 1 Thessalonians 2.9, James 4.4, 4, 1 Corinthians 9.22. You guys can look at those scriptures right there. You've seen many of them before. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Matthew 4.19, 2 Timothy 2.10. It's important. This is a really important piece of the puzzle that we understand this. Because if you don't, everything gets turned backwards. And I believe things become very, very dangerous in your life. It's incredibly important that things are, the foundations are laid in the correct way. Because otherwise, you turn this thing upside down, like a lot of people in the world do, and I think you're in a very dangerous place in your life. And I'll get to that more in a minute. But, let's just look at the four ways that we're supposed to know where we're called to go. Okay, just briefly touch on what that looks like. And the way I want to do that is so that you can see kind of how it doesn't fit with the Scripture really well. Is we're just going to look at Paul. Okay? So, uh, Ben, will you look up Philippians 3, 4 through 6? Casey, will you look up 2 Corinthians 11, 5 and 6? And um, Vince, will you look up... Um, you have your Bible? Okay. Acts 16, 37 through 39. So here's what I want you to do. You can take a pen as we read these. Okay? And if you know other scripture, you can do this. But just kind of over to the right, I want you to write down the qualities, characteristics, or what you know about Paul. It's what we learn about him. And I, we're going to read these scriptures so we have some help. But what do you know about Paul? About him? Okay? Ben, go ahead and read your scripture first. So write down things. You can write down stuff already that you know. But Ben, what do you got? So I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, six, as to zeal of Presbyterian. You alright? As to righteousness under the law of blameless. Okay. Sorry. So, what do you guys get from that? Just anything. What, what was Paul like? He was what? Persecutor. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a Roman and a Jew. He was with the Roman part in there. Are you sneaking it in? We'll get you. That's good. Okay. Okay. So he was Roman, which is huge. He was a Roman citizen, and he was Jewish. Okay. But what? Let's see. In that scripture, was he just any Jewish guy? He abided strictly. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
Okay? I mean, he was like... He, he was like seriously in as a Jew. He got taught by like Camila. Uh, We're getting there. Acts 22. <laughs> it's alright. He's like, he got taught by one of the lead Pharisees. Okay? This is a big deal. We'll talk about how big deal it is in a second. Let's finish the rest of the scripture. Okay? 2 Corinthians 11, 5 and 6. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Okay. What, what do we see there about Paul? Anything? He's smart. Not a very good speaker. Okay, not a very good speaker, but he's brilliant. Okay? So we know, you can say not a very good speaker, so that's a quality, but he is brilliant. Okay? And you can see from the, what's written through Romans and all that stuff, clearly brilliant. Okay? But also, people were calling him one of the super apostles, but why were they doing that? He's one of the main apostles. Why were people saying that? What? She was so smart, and what were people doing? Like as he would come to town, and, and Christian, like people would become Christians, were starting to what with him? Well, they were starting to follow him, weren't they? Okay, like that was a big deal. Like he's like an apostle. He's like one of the guys who followed Jesus. He's like really powerful. So basically, was Paul a leader? Oh yeah, lots of leadership in his in him. Okay, and then the last one, Acts sixteen. What do you got? But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Okay, what do you get? We get the Roman citizen from that, which was... I mean, that was a huge deal to be a Roman citizen in that day. It gave you all kinds of privileges that nobody else had. That's why they had to let him go. They, he was a Roman citizen. He could, uh, they couldn't just hurt him or beat him or something. Because whoever did that could get in trouble for doing that without giving him a fair trial. Because he was a Roman citizen. So this is Paul. What else do you guys see about Paul? Anything? He was zealous. He was zealous. This is important. He was a passionate guy. Okay, He was zealous to kill Christians... Right at first, he was zealous for the law when he was a Pharisee. Okay, he was he was a passionate guy. What else do you get from him? Anything? Fearless. Fearless. You guys catch the bravery in that scripture? He's just speaking right out to these guards that could kill him. You know, very very boldly. So here we have Paul, very very talented person. He's brilliant. He is a Roman citizen, so he can do pretty much anything in the... I mean, do you guys know that Rome back then was like... It was like America, maybe, in a sense. They're like, you know, like, it was so powerful and strong, and they were making aqueducts, and they were paving the way into the future, and everything that was, you know, great about, you know, Rome. You know, they come in, and, and people actually didn't mind being conquered by Rome because they come in and build roads. They didn't actually make life better in a way, because they'd come in and bring law. I mean, it was like Rome was like happening. And if you want to be a part of progress, all you had to do is be a Roman citizen and you could get on the train. So Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Jewish Pharisee, Hebrew of Hebrews, studied the, the books of the law to the greatest degree, studied under Camille, it's in Acts 22, who was one of the greatest teachers of the 
uh, Jewish teachers of all time. Okay, like I've heard him, people talk about him outside of biblical circles of how he was like really well known as a Jewish scholar and teacher. And Paul studied under him as one of his prized students. He was righteous, kept the law like nobody else. But here is Paul with all these characteristics. Now, a young Paul comes to know Jesus Christ and he gets taken away, okay, because he was like killing all these Christians so they were afraid of him. So like Paul went, I, I, Amy might know better because she studied Paul, but I, he goes to a city right away after he comes to know Christ and he wants to tell people about Jesus but they're all afraid of him. Because he like killed everybody who was Christians and they don't believe him. You know, it's like you're tricking us. You're gonna like kill us. And so like, so basically they said, you know, dude, you gotta go and like just hide out for a while. Okay. And so he does that. Now, let's look at these things. What opportunities do you think Paul has in his life to do things with his life? Like, if you look at Paul, and here's what here's the important thing I want you guys to catch. Because we're not, I don't, we don't have to go through and just talk about all this stuff. Because it's pretty simple. What I want you to catch. Most people would look at Paul and say, "Dude, you're a Roman citizen. You need to get in the government. Think of the opportunity you have to go into the government and be like a politician. To do something, you know, get in there and have power and influence. Think of the opportunities you have as a Jewish scholar." Think of Paul's opportunities that he has because he's brilliant. I mean, in our day today, if somebody was as brilliant as Paul, do you think they would go to Northern Kentucky University? It, it wouldn't happen, would it? Yeah. Nobody that brilliant. Okay. I love you guys, but come on, we're the we're the we're the week of the week. It's all good, right? Listen. Hey guys. But you get what I'm saying. We interact with high school kids all the time. Okay? If I go to all the high schools around here and I find the person who's the highest GPA, what's that person called? Valedictorian. Valedictorian of all these schools. Okay? How many of you guys think they're going to Northern and going to have a general degree? Probably none. Okay? Don't give me some outside example of somebody who did that. But listen, the point is this. Shh. That's so not the way we think. Even us. We think, oh, you're brilliant. You probably should go to Harvard or something. You should go to like Yale. That's what. If you're brilliant, you have the opportunity. You should do that because you're really smart. So Paul, I know you're trying to figure out what you should do. I think you should go to the greatest universities in all of the of the Roman kingdom right now, and you should go study abroad, Paul, because you're brilliant. I mean, think of how quickly people would assume that stuff. His talents and abilities. He's a leader, right? Think of what he could do as a Roman citizen if he used his leadership skills, right? And just started, maybe started a business. How, you know, quickly his business could become like very, he'd be a very powerful business leader in the community. Paul was passionate. What, what do you guys, you know, but Paul was passionate for Jesus now. That kind of changed things around, didn't it? Changed a lot of things around. Counsel, what would people around Paul tell him? What would they have told him? I have a hard time imagining that someone would say, Paul, okay, 
everybody hates you because you killed all, you know, all the Christians are afraid of you because you killed all the, those people. You know, killed all the Christians. You're brilliant. You're a Roman citizen. You're like Pharisee of Pharisees. You're a leader. You're zealous. You know, I think you should, like, just go around to all these cities and try to, you know, start churches and tell people about God. I don't think people would counsel them to do that. In fact, I read, okay, that the the apostles then and Barnabas, they didn't want him to do that. Because they thought, oh, well, he, you know, he's, people are just going to run from him. And what didn't he do well? Speak. Speak. What was the first thing that Paul did every city he went to? When it debated. He went and spoke. This is, what's going on with this? I mean, think about this for a second. This is, I mean, can you imagine, here's Paul. So Paul is like, just because he's in ministry all the time, he's loving people, he's trying to start all these churches, he thinks, you know, I have to start a little side thing to try to take care of myself so I can feed myself. So he does what? He becomes a tent maker. Right? You guys know that? He made tents, goes to the marketplace, sells some tents, okay? And then, you know, uses that to support himself so that he's not going to all these towns and expecting people to feed him and give him all the stuff. So Paul, doing this little thing on the side, telling people, can you imagine several years later, some of the men who studied with Paul in his young years, some of the men who were Roman citizens who were with Paul in those circles, stopping by the marketplace where all the lower class people were to see what they were selling that day. and Is that Paul selling tents? Hey, Paul, how's it going? Hey, good. Selling tents, huh? You know, and they walk away thinking, he was brilliant. He was, a, he was so passionate. What's he doing selling tents? What is this? It wouldn't make any sense to them, would it? Not, not even a little. The idea of allowing these things to lead you into what God is asking you to do and sending you to do is a little crazy. Tent making, vocations. The next page. If you... This is important because I want to make sure that we don't pass over the tent-making thing, the vocational thing. Because in our culture, okay, we've really separated the two very, very much. We've really made this clear line of like, you're either in ministry and like do it full-time, or you're not in ministry and you don't do it full-time. Okay? And we just created this dividing wall that A, shouldn't even be there in the first place. Because according to what we've talked about to this point, is any one of us, any Christian here, any Christian in northern Kentucky, not been sent by God with a missional purpose that is to consume their lives? No, all of them. Everyone. So the idea is this. All of these things, your abilities, your talents, the things you're good at, those are great things, and God gave them to you. That's all absolutely true. They all were meant to serve this grand purpose, this grand thing that you get to be a part of. 
So you walk in to make disciples, to be a part of God's advancing kingdom, and God has even equipped you with like these special gifts and skills to help you in this process. But at what point are these special skills and gifts that God's given you, are, am I supposed to try to help P&G sell shampoo? I would say you only do that to the extent that it's doing what Paul used it for, which is to support himself. Does that make sense? It's not a really complex thing. It's really very simple. This is what we're called to do. Anything else just serves that purpose. Anything else you got, anything God gave you that just serves that purpose. When you get a job, you get a job to serve that purpose. Now that vocation might be something, you know, different. It may be, okay, and this is absolutely true. Maybe God is sending you, maybe you feel like God is leading you into the business culture to be a missionary. There. That you're going to go in there, and you guys know this quote, I've used it all the time. Evan Griffin, okay? Great friend of mine, okay, says this all the time. He says, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are a missionary cleverly disguised as a professor. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a salesman. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as a fill-in-the-blank. And it is really, really important that we understand the difference. Because here's the bottom line. You will, you will act radically different. If you see yourself as a salesman who tries to do some missionary things, you know, tries to do the little Jesus stuff on the side, you will act radically different than the person who's there, who sees themselves as a missionary, who's only there to try to advance God's kingdom. Now, will you work hard in that environment? Absolutely. Why? Because if you don't, what will happen? You won't be there any longer. Or, everyone around you will be like, oh, here comes that lazy, putsy guy. We don't want to listen to what he has to say about God. It actually says that in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Work diligently with your hands. Why? So that you may win the respect of outsiders. So when you want to tell them about Jesus, they're going to listen to you. So if God is telling you to go in the business world, don't go in there and be a putz. Okay? You go in there and you do a good job so that people are going to listen to you. Okay? The, uh, when Evan got done with graduate school, he swore, like he, he said, I will never, ever teach. I hate this. I will never, ever do this. He hated it. He did graduate school. He was a teacher in graduate school. He goes on staff with the Navigators. He gets sent to University of Cincinnati to minister to college students at the University of Cincinnati. And he's trying to think through, okay, what can I do to make some money because we're not, we don't have enough money raised. Right? And navigators, they have to raise personal support. And he can't raise enough money yet to support him and his wife. And so he's thinking, well, i got to have some type of side job. i got to do something to make some money to be able to live while I'm doing this ministry at the University of Cincinnati to these college students. And he's like, well, I have a master's degree in this communication. wonder what I can do. Oh, and then there's an opportunity for him to teach at the University of Cincinnati. And he's like, oh... I want to teach. I hated teaching. I was horrible. I was like, oh man. But because of, 
it was perfect fit for his ministry. He said, alright, I'll teach, but just a couple classes. Like, you know, like twice, just Tuesdays and Thursdays. When I was in college years ago, Evan only taught t- twice a week. Okay, and it was just one class, I think, that he would teach. Okay, so he's in there just getting some side, he was hourly wage, getting some side work as a teacher. That turned into what he all of a sudden realized as he's doing this, he's like, man, listen, I'm really in with these students. Kind of like what we go through and we're coaches or whatever we're doing and we get in as a coach. Anybody who's coached can tell you, you're like, whoa, okay, this is a bonus. I'm this this is really helping the ministry that you know that you know God sent me here and this is really helping. This is good. And so Evan starts experiencing that. And now 15 years later, 16 or 17 years later, okay, he's been teacher of the year at the University of Cincinnati three times of the whole campus. Teacher of the year. His classes are overfilled and people dive to try to get in them. And they have spurred on and been a part, a pivotal role in his ministry there. And he will tell you, without a doubt, I am a missionary to this campus, and I am cleverly disguised as a teacher. Now, Evan, he just has his master's degree. Some of you guys, I don't even know if you guys know this, okay? If you don't have your master's degree, and you teach in college, does anybody know what that means? You're just an adjunct. Anybody know what that means? You're, part, you're considered part-time. You're actually like so low on the totem pole that you're like really a nobody in the department. Because all the people who are the real teachers have a PhD. You have to have a PhD. That's a big deal. Teach on a uh, college campus. You And you get the uh, the thing where they can't fire you. What's that called? Tenure. 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 Thank you. Everybody said so fast. I was like, wow. <laughs> so you get this tenure thing when you're a PhD. Evan doesn't get that. Okay, think about how crazy this is. How many opportunities do you think Evan has had that he could get his PhD? Five. Tons. He, he could get all kinds of opportunities to do that. But he chooses not to. Why do you think? Because he's got a focus. Now, if he was there on campus as a, a teacher, and that's why he was there, and then he was just trying to do the Jesus stuff on the side, he would absolutely have risen into the PhD ranks. And I'm going to be a tenured professor. But he doesn't have an interest in that. Because he's a missionary there. That's why he's there. So as you dive into whatever vocations you do, I would most highly encourage you that it either needs to be something that's supplementing the ministry that God has sent you to, or it is the actual place where God is sending you to do ministry. Don't ever have, the world would tell you, I mean, think how crazy this is. Just think about this for a second. Do you know how the world identifies you? What do you think happens at a 20-year high school reunion? Everybody comes back and says, Hey, Rick, how's it going? I've seen you in like 20 years. And they say, And what's the first question they ask me? What do you do? Do you know why everybody asks that question? Because that, in our culture, is what identifies who you are. And if I say, Oh, you remember that Young Life thing that we were in? Yeah, I work with high school people. 
right? What do you think? That, ah, that's so good of you. It's just so nice of you to work with all those people. And then you're in a conversation and somebody says, what do you do? He says, oh, you know, I'm the uh, vice president of Chiquita Banana and I've worked my way up. And then everyone's like, what? Oh, wow, did you hear it's a vice president. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a big company. <laughs> I'll come with a bigger one. He's a senator, right? So somebody's a senator who's there. What do you think people would be like? Oh my gosh. Hey guys, this is, catch this. Just don't think it doesn't affect you. Because everybody around you does it to you. What are you going to do? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing? Everybody around you. You know what? You'll give them the right answer. Okay? It's like, oh, Because what you do identifies you in our culture. Do not buy that that is the way vocation works in God's kingdom. God is not interested in that. God doesn't care. And I think, in many senses, I really don't think God really cares where you are. I'm just telling you. I have people come to me fretting. Oh my gosh, I can't decide. You know whether it's where am I going to college or where am I going to lose my job. I'm like, listen. First off, it's not that big a deal. I promise. If if you choose there or there, it really doesn't matter because you're going to do the same thing. You're going to go there. You're going to be a missionary, and you're going to try to help make disciples. That's what God has asked you to do. So it really isn't that big of a deal. I mean, people die over it. A lot of anxiety and stress over that. But that's because that's what the world has taught you, taught us. That's not what happens in God's kingdom. So, social justice, at least this makes sense. Um, that's a whole other thing. We'll talk, well, I can talk more about that later. But basically, social justice is like helping the poor and doing things like that. Okay? That stuff also is meant to supplement and adorn and to come alongside your and our missionary purpose. Okay? What am I wired to do? Okay? That was the quest, one of the questions that was asked. I want you guys to think about this for a second. The very question itself totally is exactly what I'm just talking about with the world. By asking the question, what am I wired to do? You might as well have said, what are you going to do with your life? Vocation, that's going to identify you. Listen to how crazy this is. Okay, We absolutely have this crazy mindset, and you absolutely think, hear me on this, you think that this life that you're living, you think it's about you. You think that the story you're in, that you're the main character. You're not. This is not about what you're wired to do. This is not about what you can do. The great impact that you can have. It's nothing to do. You are not the main character. This is God's story that you get to be a part of. This is about whatever you can contribute is whatever you can contribute to His story. Who you are has nothing to do with your story. Who you are is God created you for His story. And how are you going to serve that? Just the question itself is like, sets you up to say, 
yeah, i got to figure out what I'm wired to do because that's so important because it's about me. It's about me finding my niche, finding what I like to do. I'm going to go to Hollywood and be an actor or I'm going to go to do this or I'm going to be a basketball player and I'm going to be great because that's what I'm going to do because my story's about me. The story's not about you. It's about God. What are you wired to do? You are wired to love God and love others. You are first made to worship and to drink deep, deeply of nothing else but Jesus Christ. You are second asked then to love your brothers and sisters around you. Which that in and of itself... Why does God tell us to love each other first as believers? Why? Because why? Because He loved us. And what will happen as a result of us loving each other? Others will see. Oh look, here we are, back to that big purpose thing again. Right back again. God asks you, calls you, if you will, tells you, without a doubt, love your brothers and sisters, even first. Why? So the world will know. So the world can see. That's why. Then you love and tell the world about Jesus. What does it mean to love others? And this is a, a very key thing that I think why things are missed. There's the world's definition of love. Catch you, Every one of you should identify with this. If I say to somebody, you know, you're not loving me well. This is what I mean. I say, you know, Zach, you're not loving me well. And what I mean by that is, you know, Zach, you're not making me feel, nice, feel good. You're, I, you're making me upset. You're hurting me. You're not loving me well. You're not... Uh, making much of me, okay? Because we really, in our culture, to love somebody means to make much of them, right? Every girl in this room, I guarantee you, the way you have dreamed of being loved by somebody is you want a boy to make much of you. You want to walk in the room, the boy, oh, there she is, oh, she's beautiful, she's great, she's and and that's that, and boys want it too, because we all want this kind of love. We want somebody to make much of us. It is the way the world defines love. And every one of us, we walk around and you say, you are loving me or you're not loving me according to how you make much of that person. That is not, that is worldly love. And I hate to tell you guys this, it is not biblical love. That is not biblical love. To really love somebody biblically to do everything in your power to strive with all of your might to do all that you can to help the person next to you or whoever it is that you're going to love to be eternally happy that is to love somebody and I'm telling you right now that changes everything all of a sudden for me to love Zach is not for me to make much of Zach it's for me to look at Zach and say Zach I want nothing more than for you to be happy eternally. For you to know Jesus in such a way that your joy is as great as any joy you could have. And so all of a sudden I'm looking at Zach and thinking, what can I do to help him get there? How can I help Zach into that place more? That's what it means for me to love somebody. Now, apply this to love others. So what are you supposed to do with your whole life? Why are we here? Do you get it? If you really love anybody around you, it's not about 
anything other than helping them become eternally happy. I mean, literally, doing physical nice things for people doesn't necessarily help people become more eternally happy. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Like it's really important because you get we're always doing things to make much of somebody to help somebody. It's why when Jesus looks at a paralytic, he doesn't look at him and say, "Oh man, you need to be fixed. We need to get you walking again." Do you think Jesus? What did he have in mind? He has eternal happiness. He looks at the paralytic and says, "Man, you got a serious problem. Your sins are forgiven." Everybody in the room, including the paralytic, goes. Uh, can't walk, Jesus. Did you notice that part? You know, like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, God. Of course it makes every bit of sense if you look at love like this. It's not about that stuff. It's about loving people so that they can see Christ. Mark. Um, but Jesus healed the paralytic physically, so he took care of their needs. And, and if you are going to help people to, to be eternally happy... That's going to be always a part of the process. If you go to Africa and you want to help people there know Jesus and you don't bring any food, you're an idiot. I'm just telling you. What are you doing? Right? Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to see, hear the message you have to share. Okay? But that goes along with any part of what we're doing. You're bringing the food, though, not just to feed the person. You're bringing the food. Why? To help them be eternally happy. If I just give food to somebody and they just eat well and they get a full stomach, ah, you know, that's not enough for me. It shouldn't be enough for you. It's like with high school kids. They don't need bread. They don't need actual food. They get plenty of that. What do they need? Attention. That's what we give them. Why do you think I sit and listen to a sophomore kid complain about a girl that doesn't like him? You know, that he's not he's gonna forget about her in like one month less than a month. He'll forget about her in two days. But yet he's like, oh my gosh, it's horrible. It's the worst thing I have in my life. Can you believe it? And I'm like, and I listen. Why? Because I'm, it's me giving that kid bread. It's me saying, listen, I want you to listen to me. I, I love you. I do want to help you. But I love you enough just to have a big picture in mind. And I'm not going to stop with this. It won't be just that. It won't be the end of the conversation. Right? So the only good things that really happen in this world are the good things that happen for God's kingdom. Are the things where God is advancing in the lives of people. That is when things good happen. It's a big deal to get this, okay? Because too often we think if something just nice happens, that's good. That that doesn't mean it's good. Do you guys realize there are a lot of things that people do that are nice? that aren't actually good because of what we just said. Do you think you could be so nice to somebody that you could actually keep them from seeing Jesus in a good way, to seeing Jesus more eternally? Of course you can. You can absolutely do that. Natural response. This just is a very simple point. This should be your natural response. If you are filled with Christ... When you rub up against people, you should naturally want to tell them about Jesus. Okay? Here's all I'll say about this. Because I, I just, not to go on forever, because I'm going to get this done. Right? If you 
have a vocation years from now, and you go to your job every day, and you're going there and you are not passionate to tell people about the Lord and to make disciples, then I question your relationship with God. What other response is there to the love of Christ? And you guys heard me talk about that before. How else do you respond to that? And if it really means something to you, holy cow, you can barely keep it in. You got a treasure in a jar of clay. You're like, oh my gosh, I got the, everything. And that guy next to me in the cubicle is like depressed and he's so, and I got the answer right here. I'm gonna, you know, and you're like, hey, how's it going? How can I tell him? I gotta figure out a way to tell him, right? If you love Jesus, if he, if that is really what's filling you, you know, you're like, I got the answer for that guy's whole life right here on my desk, and I can't, I gotta figure out a way. And you work at it. You talk to him. So, hey, Jim, how's it going? Yeah. So what do you, family? Yeah, I got kids too. Maybe we could be together, hang out. Because you know, you're like, if I just dump my Bible on him, he'll probably just freak out and never talk to me again. So it's like you start talking to him. It's like this natural response. Do you get it? The great danger in American Christianity, this is leftover living. The world constantly teaches whatever your gifts are, your abilities, your opportunities that you have, the passions, the things you care about. If you've got nice, pretty feet, you need to go be a foot model. You need to go do those things. Whatever it is that you want to do, you go do it. And then once you're doing it, then wherever you are, just give whatever you have left over to God. Leftover living. It is trumpeted in our culture, in our Christian culture. Trumpeted. And I believe, I really believe it is a great danger. And here's why. If I live my life, and I go to church on Wednesdays and Sundays and I try to be a good person, and I try to work hard at my job, and have comfort in my family, when I, and, and my life is being lived in that kind of comfort zone that the culture gives us, and I'm just doing good things along the way, and I live my whole life like that, when I die, and I go to heaven, or when I go to stand before Jesus, I would be terrified. I don't. I, I have no idea how God will respond to that. How does God respond to the lukewarm? How does God respond to the mediocre? How will God respond to those who said, kind of, yeah, I'm, I like Jesus, I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, I try to be a good person, but I've really lived most of my life just for myself. It's been my story. I've just kind of done what I like to do. How will God respond? And here's the crazy... I don't know how He'll respond to that. But I'm telling you this. I wouldn't want to be that person. I will live my life giving all that I have to Christ and to His service. And living that way, I have full confidence in how God will respond to me when I stand before Him. You just don't know. Because there will be many on that day who will say, Lord, Lord... Because wide is the gate that leads to destruction and easy to go, but narrow is the gate to life. We don't know. So to encourage people into mediocrity, oh my God! That's like the, I mean, if anything, we should be falling on the way on the other. It's one of the things I 
like about Francis Chan nowadays. He says these things that are so strong, and people are like, oh my gosh, you do it, do it, did you see what he said? Did you hear that? It was crazy. But what's happening is, is it's taking, that's what people need to hear, because everybody's running the other way. Everybody's like, I want to be a Christian. I want to run this way and do what I want to do, though. But I'm a Christian, right? And, I'm gonna do it. and Francis Chan saying, what are you doing? Don't, you, you know, we're, and you, we need to be saying this way. It's all about Jesus. It's all about this. God's logic. Just understand the danger here. This is why I chose to even talk about this. I believe it is absolutely the most dangerous thing you can do. And all of us in working with high school people, for you to ever ever encourage people to mediocrity. We are obligated as believers to say, oh no, no, no. We are aliens and strangers to this world. We don't live like that anymore. That's the world's thinking. That's stinking thinking. <laughs> right? We don't like that. I got kids. We do that all the time. Right? God's logic. Logically speaking. This, and I can never escape this. It is the very logic that God uses. So it's biblical. Even though I'm going to use logic, it's very biblical. And it's very simple as this. If God is true, and if heaven is true, and if salvation is true, all these things that we live for, that we believe in, if it's all true, hello, what will matter in the end? Okay? Everybody in here has heard the old Piper Seashell thing. They talked about it this weekend. Okay? Like, it really is, that is the culture of what we live in. People just don't live that way. It's like, dude, think for a second. Don't you understand? I know the world is so attractive. I know it's got so much to offer you. I know you want to live for yourself and be in your story and do what you want to do. But I'm telling you right now, you are only going to be here for a smidgen of eternity. We believe in eternity. And if you don't live that smidgen for Christ... If you don't give all you have in His service, if you don't really live for Him, you're rolling the dice big time. What are you thinking? It's logically stupid. You get it? It doesn't make any sense. If there is an eternity, there's nothing else that should matter to us. We should walk around like Jesus walked around. We should walk around saying, Dude, I don't care what's going on except your heart and your heart and your heart and your heart and my heart and how we all stand before Jesus because it's coming. The day is coming. We're going. Any minute now, he's going to come and we're going home. We'll be living every day like that. It's just logical. And it's completely stupid logic to live any other way. Last thing. Get busy living or get busy dying. Some might say get busy living. I would say get busy dying. Woo! So... Luke 9.23, Philippians 1.21. <laughs> Romans 12.2. God has called you to be a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? I think it's pretty simple what that means. Okay? It's important. You are not a free man. You have not been freed from a prison and can now get on with living. I'm telling you right now, you've been bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 6. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Bought. He bought you. Slave to righteousness. You have now, you are not a free man anymore. You are an ambassador in chains. You don't have a choice. God has enlisted you in his service. 
And you are a soldier who no longer gets entangled in civilian affairs. You have nothing to do with that world anymore. And it's time for you to get busy dying. You die to yourself. You do not, no longer, it's like the George Mueller quote, there was a time that came where I finally learned it's not about what I want. I completely live as one approved unto God. Nothing else. It's not about my desires, not about my will, not about my abilities, my opportunities, my things, my passions. It's not about that anymore. It's Him. It's all about Him. And I lived as one approved unto God. And this is not a call to you as young life leaders. This is a call to every believer and how they should be living. Why doesn't God just take us home when we die? Right? said it before. I mean, it's like angels in heaven are rejoicing. Oh, right, Casey came to Christ. This is great. Yeah, they're all high-fiving up there, and God's like, yes. Okay, Casey comes to Christ, and they're, why don't they just say, okay, Casey, come on home. Come on up. I mean, it's God. He could do that. He leaves us on earth to fulfill His purpose, His missionary purpose to reach the world. We are the mouthpiece of God to the world. It is why you stay here. And it's the one thing you won't do in heaven. <laughs> the one thing you won't do in heaven is preach the gospel and make disciples. You've got, most of you got seven, about 70 years left tops. Tops. Out of millions of years that you will be around. You've got about 70 years tops to make disciples. To advance with the kingdom. You've been bought at a price. And it's time for us to, to live that way. I would exhort all of you to remember this, to log it, and to always teach it. Do not ever teach people into mediocrity. Do not do it. No matter how you're living, you cannot do it. It's a great danger.